Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. It's not often that you interview a real hospitality hero, and I would say today that we have a hero on our hands as our next guest. Today, we share an hour or more in the presence of the pub and hospitality legend, Tim Foster, who is the head of awesome, or the head of being awesome, at Yummy Pubs. The story of what Tim and the Yummy Pubs team did when they saw COVID coming is just quite incredible. We cover the whole timeline of what happened during Tim's amazing career and also what Tim and the team did during the lockdown period to not only survive through it, but thrive through it, delighting guests, giving them what they wanted, when they needed it, going over and above and keeping his team engaged all across the whole pandemic. I think a lot of people will now agree that in this situation, whatever they've got in front of them, they'll wonder to themselves not what Elvis would do, but what would Tim do? So it gives me the most head of being awesome pleasure ever to introduce my very special next guest. I'm so glad he's agreed to come on the show. It is the incredible... Uh, what would you say, famous with the Kardashians, Tim Foster from Yummy Pub. How are you doing? I'm great, Dave. Good morning. So, I mean, there's so much to talk about in terms of, you know, the business and what's going on and where it's going and, you know, that that's kind of the meaty bit. But just before we get to that, like, I always think it's good to understand, you know, the, the truth and all that stuff of, of you know, where someone's came from and, how they've ended up where they are. And, and, you know, I think it's inspirational for people when, when they're listening to it. So if we, you don't mind doing a hop, skip and a jump back a bit, you know, how did you sort of start out in hospitality and pubs? And then what were the the main things to, to get them to do what you do? And how, and how did that come about? Uh, I'm a massive fan of your um, your podcast. So I listen to you know, pretty much everything I can when I jump in the car. And it's normally, I, I say that I cheat on my wife when I'm listening to you because it's... <laughs> Um, continuously listen to the story. So really similar to a host of others, I fell into hospitality. Um, I went to, uh, I, the only talent I had at school was drawing um, and being able to be a bit of a, a wheeler dealer. So um, everything else, uh, you know, English, maths, you name it, I was uh, destined to to fail. I was in the head office, uh, the headmaster's office more than you could. I was in probably classrooms, Um and I just didn't click, but I really clicked with with design, love comics, um, absolutely love drawing, and just found a real passion. So uh, in my, um, I think it was about 13, um, the, one of my teachers sort of pulled me to one side and said, look, you know, you're not going to be able to go forwards just because you can draw. Um, you need to get some other qualifications down, you know, you need to knuckle down. And I'd just been caught for running an illegal um tuck shop in school that I'd been running for over two years with 40 employees and uh, 30 plus lockers um, and my 
old man was an auctioneer, so um, we moved to Sussex, um, and he used to drive up to the auction galleries. And, and in front of the auction galleries were all of the stalls where the, the old boys would sell sweets and and just a whole range of other things. So I would jump in the car with Dad, put my bike in the back of the car. I had like a beaten up old Volvo estate. Go up to work with him at, at six thirty in the morning. Do some deals with the guys who owned the sweet stall for the big jars. Um, load up my school bag with all of the sweets, head down on my bike to school and then welcome all of the buses that would come in and ferry all of the kids in from all of the different villages uh, and basically flog them sweets for their school money because there was no way of them going to a shop uh, and I'd, I'd get their school money. But that, And that developed and developed and developed into a phenomenal business. So I literally had lockers on all different levels. I had different year groups working for me. Um, I was coining it in. It was it was fantastic, and I kept it going for best part of two years. Nobody knew about it. Everybody knew where the or asked where the sweets came from, and nobody understood. And then Dad bought an auction galleries down in Brighton, um, and I used to travel down to Brighton on the bus from um, Hailsham and, and Heathfield area um, on a Tuesday night, Thursday, and then auctions would be on a Saturday. So I literally roamed the streets of Brighton on a Saturday from first thing in the morning when we drove down all, all day I wasn't really needed I was supposed to work but I never wasn't really there so I, I did the disappearing act and I found BB guns in uh, one of the shops in the lanes I thought they were amazing I lived on a we lived on a farm at the time so I was used to guns and used to go out with air rifles and stuff and I saw an opportunity of maybe selling the guns to some of the kids at school yeah um yeah. which <laughs> yeah, well, when you when you look at it now, I looked at the cash margin of sweets versus the cash margin of BB gun, and it was massive difference. So far less effort and far more reward. So I managed to get this guy in the shop to sell me. You're meant to be 16, I think, but anyway, he managed to sell me these BB guns. Uh, I took them to school, and I, they're gone within the first week. I flogged them. I think I earned like 50, 60 quid cash margin. So I was like, happy days. Um, went back the next weekend, bought more, and um, yeah, one of the teachers caught me. Uh, handing over a gun that they thought was a live gun. School went into lockdown. Um, oh. I got marched into the uh, headmaster's office. Uh, parents were called, um, and then they found the whole racketeering uh, underneath the everything else. So, um, yeah, so this teacher kind of pulled me to one side, Mr. Carey, um, the only real teacher I remember, and said, this is what you need to do, buckle down, um, see if you can get through. So... I, I did, to be fair, um, and uh, got my head down, managed to get some relatively respectable GCSEs, uh, went to Hastings, BTEC, did a graphic design course, uh, and then jumped from there to Central St. Martins um, and got in the design, graphic design course at Central St. Martins, 17, 18 of us from something like 35,000 applications. Um, wow. And uh, it was at the time when Alexander McQueen was there. Um, loads of great stuff happening. Uh, just just an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, but I was one of the youngest. Um, so I went there when I was 17. And most of the guys were kind of in the mid-20s. Um, it seemed to be you'd, you'd go on that course after you'd done various different things. Um, so uh, I got really got into photography um, and fashion photography uh, because we had the fashion college. So started doing loads of, of shoots and stuff and, and graduated. A um, bit of a personal thing then happened with a guy that I was doing stuff with um, and uh, he had a, a bad accident. So I, my brother at the time was working in a pub um, up the road 
and uh, said, did I fancy coming doing a, a shift? Mm. So jumped in um, and absolutely loved it. Um, had a had a real blast uh, working there. So yeah, literally went from one extreme to another. I was taking pictures of uh, you know the the new up and coming models in the fashion world with Vogue and ID magazine and that kind of stuff into a, a countryside pub uh, in the back end, the middle of nowhere, doing dishwashing and mucking around with all of the team in the back. It just almost felt like a bit of a release. I hadn't thought. I think I had so much pressure over such a period of time that actually going into the the pub just felt like a bit of fun and a bit of time for me to be able to relax a bit and, and enjoy life, really. That's incredible. I mean, you, you've sort of lived my dream in a lot of ways because like, I always hoped I would go to uh, art college and, uh, uh, you know, and it never worked out. And, you know, I, I think I've always been a kind of frustrated designer. So it's like great to A, talk to someone that did it and B, like, there's no other place to go, right? I mean, that... St. Martin's College is that, isn't it? Yeah, literally, yeah, was the was the place. So um, I was uh, uh, this farm boy from Sussex yeah. uh, with all these really cool cool guys around, um, and you know there were people that uh, that we had students from America and and all you know quite quite a lot. I think it was about fifty fifty. So you know, one guy was uh, um, his dad was a DJ and kind of walked around with all the latest new new gear on and everything and I basically just had to graft my way um through so I used to I kind of went in and befriended the security guard um and got into the uh, the school we were on um we were on a chancery lane so we were right in the middle of um Holborn and that kind of in the old banana factory um which then changed to an H&M I think um and yeah, I used to get in early doors, um, sort of about half five, six o'clock. I'd catch the first trains possible into into London. Lived in Streatham, and uh, went into the dark rooms or uh, the showing showing age. Now, dude, the first ever Mac. Remember the really yeah. small square one. Yeah. Um, the college had one of them, so everybody trying to fight over uh, the experience of the Mac and. We used to have to kind of paste everything onto boards for the magazine print. So we got loads of experience working with with different magazines, and you would have to have the big boards out and have everything cut out and stuck stuck down and that kind of stuff. But then suddenly the Mac was able to do things in the really early days of of InDesign and layout, and you know none of the photography was digital. We had Hasselblad, where you'd have fifteen shots on a shoot, and you'd be given three rolls you'd have to buy and if you went into the darkroom and processed the film and came out of it you've wasted uh, a day day and a half worth of a photo shoot one of the guys that I work with would shoot front on the Hasselblad and uh, I would take a 35mm camera and like go around the back and take pictures of the models getting ready and uh, makeup and all that and that just wasn't nobody was doing it at the time nobody was showing behind the scenes stuff everything was kind of all prim and proper shoots um, and this was really the time when Face and ID magazines, those kind of were really known as the cutting edge, breaking the breaking the norm. And those guys loved it. So we got loads of loads of different coverage with them. And um, then different brands would come in and wanted to work. And obviously it was St. Martin. So we had great opportunities with, with brands coming in saying that they wanted to work with the new graduating students and, and so all the way through. So, yeah, it was an amazing time. Absolutely loved it. Um, met some some great people, learned a lot, and yeah, it was a brilliant time. But a massive departure to then then drop in the pub. Like I say, that I think that just that I hadn't really ever stopped, and the pressure just just seemed to be be quite so, full yeah. on. And so too much too soon. 
Yeah, and my uh, dad lost his business when I was 15. So uh, I went through going from a four bed um, or beautiful uh, farm with 26 acres of land and horses and all that kind of stuff uh, to a four bed caravan in the middle of uh, Horham Park, which is um, a kind of touring caravan place. Yeah. Uh, the only caravan there because it was off season. So he lost everything kind of end of October. Um, and I was heading into studying for exams and, and that kind of stuff. So literally lost everything and we ended up in this caravan. So I went from that and then I had to graft my way to be able to sort of pay for myself really because there was there was never any money or grants or anything like that. So I just busted a gut working and Waitrose and you know, wherever I could really Pickfords. I just, just worked and worked and worked to earn cash to put myself through um what you know the dream that i wanted to go and be a be a graphic designer and then actually when i got there and i had the opportunity of of doing it so i went you know i need a bit of a need a bit of time out yeah um and uh yeah that's when i I kind of literally fell into the pub um loved it um had an absolute blast with the guys in the kitchen and, and made some great friends and we would sort of camp after a session and we'll head down to Brighton because we were only about 20 minutes away so we go down to Brighton Marina that was new at the time and go and play pool and bowling and that kind of stuff and yeah built a built fab relationship and a brilliant team just absolutely loved it had a blast I mean, to be honest I'd like to talk about our school all day but you <laughs> <laughs> can do that another time yeah. from Supersonic Inc this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast Hey, it's Lucy here from Toggle, the newest member of the team. This time of year is all about gifting and after a challenging year, Toggle wants to support the gift of hospitality. There are all sorts of opportunities available on the platform from your standard digital and physical gift cards to Gusto Italian's Taste of Italy experience or Revolution's Christmas gift set or even the brilliant pay it forward feature. And it can be made so much easier this year with the first £1,000 of sales completely on us. Just visit usetoggle.com and learn more. So, you know, from from there, um, you know, get, getting your first taste of that. I mean, you've had obviously a corporate past as well, as well as the hospitality stuff. So, what were the sort of hop, skips, and jumps to then becoming, you know, an owner at, at Yummy Pubs? I think I was always a, a marketeer, but a marketeer with commercial in me. So, you know, if I go back to the sweet shop and and everything, I. Dad did a number of things well in my upbringing and, and a, a shed load wrong. And one of the good things was, you know, he he made me work and he made me understand the value of money. And he he genuinely sort of pushed me that direction, which I will do with my two. You know, they will they will learn and they will understand it. And that's one of the greatest things that he could have done for me. So although I always had the talent with the design and, and I do everything now, you know, that's, that's part of the business that, that I love doing and I still I, I don't let go. I tried to let go a couple of years ago and we brought in a junior designer and I just couldn't, couldn't do it. Okay. Um, and so I bring that kind of, we have total, not control, but just we can flex and we can change and our, our image and, and the fun nature of us comes through that for me and and we can, can control it and adapt it. And, you know, I have growth spurts where I learn new things and, and, and the design stuff's going at such a rate that we need to stay with it and there, there will be a point where it will be i am too much of an old git to do it anymore but still understand it um and the commercial the commercial bit was the thing that really got me going so if i saw the delivery of 
value of, of a campaign or if I actually understood the commerciality. So I, I worked in the pub um, for, for a while. Then I went on to, to work in a number of them. I worked for a really entrepreneurial guy. Um, and, you know, I got to be with him and around him every every Monday he would come in and I learned stack loads from his approach and, and what he did. Um, then I went traveling, uh, went off traveling for a year, um, came back, wanted to do something different. So I uh, worked in a coffee machine or started uh, working in a coffee machine company, uh, flogging machines and, and beans when sort of Ron Belts was the, the main competitor. Um, there were no Costas, you know, Neros, the Terrifying thing is, I'm not talking long ago, you know, it was, it was 24, 25. So, you know, going back sort of 17 years. Um, and then I saw an advert for Colesburg um, in the paper. I'd, I'd worked for Gus for about a year um, and uh, it was it was great, but I'd only ever worked for small companies. I hadn't understood what a what a big brand or a big company was. So I saw the advert in, uh, in the Argus, uh, went down to Brighton, did the assessment centres for two days, uh, went through everything and, ended up being told that I didn't get the job. Um, and I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, no, no worries. And Nige, who was my kind of, then turned into my boss, said, look, dude, you, you're going to be crap looking after people. It just isn't going to work. Um, all the questionnaires and everything you do, it's all for you. It's about exciting new things and it's about new business. And but you seem to get bored pretty quick. And I said, I totally agree with you, Nige. You know, I, now I've got to understand what the role is that you were looking for. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, he's like, okay, but we're recruiting for a new business manager, so would that be of interest? And I said, well, what does it entail? He said, well, we need somebody hungry who's prepared to go in and knock on doors and, and get new business and bring new business in for us. I was like, yep, sign me up. I'll, I'll, I'd love to do it. And I'd studied about the whole company and learned about Jakobsen and, and sort of all of the stuff that you don't necessarily see in the brand, which for me at the moment, the stuff that the Brewdog boys are doing is a, a flip reversal. You know, Carlsberg have all of that. They've always done all of that. You know, the scientists and the climate change and half half a foundation and a charity, but they've never brought it commercially uh, to the forefront. It's, it's all tucked away and hidden um, behind the scenes. So I learned all of that and I loved it. I, I That just kind of ticked a box. So I said, yeah, great, new business. Uh, so I was um, given new business for Brighton, um, which in the first week I understood pretty quickly was pretty tough to try and sell people at the time, Carlsberg, Forex and Tetley's. Um, and wherever I went uh, in a suit with a nice, clean hire car, they literally thought I was a Jehovah Witness or the taxman. Um, <laughs> and I would walk into bars and they would just look at me up and down and just go, yeah, what would you want, mate? Um, so I uh, quickly learned that uh, that that approach wasn't going to happen. So uh, I took off the suit after week number two, put on a pair of shorts, flip flops, and a t-shirt, and started rocking into bars at nine o'clock at night, um, and chatting to the bar staff, and then getting to know the managers, and then getting to know the owners, and a whole different polar polar approach. And it started to be really kind of build some some dividends, and just live the Brighton life a bit, really. Yeah. Um, and then Carlsberg uh, had a massive reorg, so um, we were all called, told to to come into the Hilton in in Watford, um, bring your own car, don't car share, uh, come on, come along. Uh, this is three weeks after I've got the role. Uh, they went from 350 sales guys to about 180. Uh, literally, you're sitting in this room, you've got a B on your top. If you're sitting in this room, you've got an A on top. All of the A's stay, all of the B's. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Uh, and there were guys in there that had worked for the business for 30 plus years. Um, it was a very interesting 
kind of period to be in. And, and I went up to Nigel and I was like, dude, come on, man. You just hired me. You must have known this was coming. And he's like, knew nothing. Honestly, none of us knew anything. This has come from the very, very top. Um, it's a massive company restructure. But, you know, don't worry. You've, you've got an A. You're staying. Like, well, what does that mean? You know, does my job role change? He said, mate, everything changes. But if you were prepared to change and, and run with it, then, you know, there's a great future ahead for you. So, so okay, went into the room. Uh, Peter Hutchins, who I used to call Hutch, uh, stood in front of me and said, right, this is your new territory. This is your new area. Uh, you're going to look after 80, 80 accounts. And I just looked at Hyde and went, but you said I was going to be crap at managing accounts. And uh, he went, yeah. I said, well, what's changed? He said, well, we think maybe we could train you and you could do something. It's like, okay. I said, guys, seriously, I'm going to lose all of these accounts. I'm not going to look after anybody. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, and they're like, okay, thanks for the honesty. I said, I'll tell you what, though, I'll flip it and I'll bring on all new business to replace it. Um, and uh, yeah, so we went from there. And then uh, quite a few of the guys who were with the A on their badges were like, you know what, I don't want this, I'm out. So I was given a territory uh, three times the size that I should have been that went from Dover down to Bognor. And um, yeah, it was uh, interesting times to say the least. Uh, The most interesting thing was uh, we couldn't deliver beer. We just signed a new (coughs) deal with Punch and Docklands was my delivery depot. And I had a guy called Jim from uh, Lewisham Green Conservative Club. And Jim was pretty clear that I needed to get beer to him. Otherwise, uh, there was no point in me coming back. So I um, put on a pair of steel tap toe boots, hired a van, put an order in, drove to Docklands, filled the van up with all of his order, rocked up outside the Conservative Club. And uh, rather than turning up in a fancy car and a suit, I um, rocked up with a pair of shorts and a T-shirt on and started tubbing off his beer into the cellar. Um, and within a week I was called to Northampton to go and see Doug Clydesdale who was the CEO of Carlsberg at the time uh, to be asked why I was driving around in a white van so I parked my white van behind his Maserati in the Northampton head office walked up the stairs with my boots on and my shorts and my t-shirt because I'd already told my boss he could go and stick his job up his ass about a week before that um, because it was ridiculous how the company was being run uh, and had to sit in a room with HR Doug and a couple others discussing my actions and, and what I was doing. So to this day, you can only take out two crates of uh, Carlsberg product from your beer allowance out of any of the depots because some idiot called Tim Foster was running around with a white van and tubbing off beer to his customers because his trade teams couldn't. Just astounding. And, and <laughs> it's just like total like fuzzy logic. Like You're doing the right thing. Mm, but I was breaking every health and safety <laughs> law you could think of you know, uh, and it, exposing the business massively. So, yeah. I've, I've heard of this before and I wouldn't name names on it, but, you know, a large company bought a smaller craft company and they just started not to fulfil what the customers wanted. And yeah. I, the, yeah, and you went out and did what you did. And you there, was, there was huge pressure. The business was going through massive change and um you know they were securing contracts and one part of the business was was working on on one agenda and another part of the business working on another agenda and uh, when you have that internal conflict you know it's a huge business there are three three and a half thousand people working so you know and you've got the two breweries pumping away and volumes are in decline really competitive market that kind of stuff so um yeah i mean one of the best things i ever did was i followed a 
for my new business, I literally found out the two accounts of where a competitor was um, selling. And I asked the guy in the, the site, he was adamant he wasn't going to change. He was like, oh, dude, that's no problem. I've, I've totally got you know all the time in the world for you. If you want to stick with those brands, that's fine. What, when does your rep normally come? He said, oh, he comes every month. I was like, okay, cool. What day? Gave me all the day of the time. Anyway, sat in the car park. And um, I followed this rep around for a week. Uh, literally in the car, like stealthing him to get every single account details that he was having. But what the company was asking me to do was to fill in a CRD card thing we had. So I had to do five visits a day and fill in this card. <clears throat> Actually, what I was doing was building up a database that we had never had before. And I was meant to fill in this this card to tell them where I'd been all day. Um, instead, I decided to follow around another sales rep to find out his entire territory and then went in and gave blanket offers to everybody to tie him up with loads of time. And then I concentrated on his top 10 accounts and I won seven of them. Um, so that, that's just, that's just me. That's just, just my approach. But yeah, working in a big corporate environment, um, had its challenges for me, which, um, you know, some, some great, um, some not so much. I love the, the lessons I learned in people management, um, the people with inside the building and the, the business were genuine, genuinely amazing. I got experience to see, you know, international brands and was involved in meetings with with different things in Copenhagen and seeing 14, 15 different countries and the different challenges and looking at new markets. And as I grew and as I went through the business, I got far more exposure to some incredible things um, and learned so much that I then was able to take um, and we adopted into to Yummy. So I met Anthony. Uh, he came in as a, a graduate trainee, and at the time I was in regional marketing. We built up a just a really close bond really quickly, um, and we had these different projects. and And I was involved in sort of turnaround projects, and he was on a territory there. So we we got together, and in the the very beginning, you kind of the way I kind of do business is relationship built. So I had a techni technician called Colin who would be the guy come in and and put the the, the fonts on the bar and. In new business, the quicker you get the beer pouring, the quicker you make money. Um, so I'd have to fill in all the forms and you'd wait three weeks until fonts would be installed. I'd buy Colin around a golf, uh, a local golf club and he'd be in within two days and whack all the fonts on for me. So I'll be pouring beer sort of three or four weeks quicker than the forms would, would normally allow me to do. Um, so I built that relationship with Cole and, and then we all sort of sat down um, in a pub after we'd done a, a massive week going around and telling people what they, we thought they should do with their businesses. And my my role at the time was to advise pubs on, on what I think they should do and what marketing techniques they should employ and how to help them grow their business. And that was a, a real focus for me. And hardly anybody listened. Um, literally, would, would give you a bit of lip service and then go, yeah, 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 fine, what's the price, mate? And go, well, I'm still giving you the price. Um, and it's a great price because we're trying to win your business or retain business. But this is added value for you. You know, I'm trying to help you grow your business outside of me just being able to put some tubs in your cellar or or switch you a brand. So this is what I think you should do. And they just they weren't listening. So um, we all sat in the pub, um, had a chat and just went, bollocks, should we do it together? Um, all right. Okay. So we, we came up with a pretty quick business plan on the back of a beer mat. I'd already had the experience with the pubs and I'd got chefs and, and all of the different team behind me that I'd already kept all of the contacts with when I'd I've been at um, with with Keith, um, and we're like, yeah, let's 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 do it. So Anthony 
was sort of touring the the country. I was touring the country and we were working and then we'd be able to drive past pubs that were for sale or we'd have a list of pubs and we'd be out at the weekends and looking for everything. So we looked for about, I think we looked at about 100 sites uh, before we found the wire mill. And uh, we drove down the, the lane, walked up the stairs and I just went, wow, no, this this place is incredible. Um, and um, yeah, that was that was it. It was the, the three of us. We managed to to get it. Uh, Colin's business uh, again. Carlsberg went through a bit of a reorg, and Carl's business has put a risk, so he came in to run it uh, full time. Um, typical northern pub landlord. Um, and uh, Anthony and I stayed at Carlsberg, um, and I kind of I went to my boss and his boss and sat down and said, "Guys, you know this is what I'm doing. Um, you need to be aware of it. Can I carry on? Do I need to leave? What What do you want?" And I managed to kind of have the conversation to say actually it's a real positive if i can sit in people of who i was meeting i was meeting elton at fuller's or you know peter wells at charles wells going in to do strategic reviews of how cars would help their business if if i had a pub to be able to say guys this is what i'm doing with my pub um then it just almost brought that kind of that relationship quicker because again they would look at you as some marketeer that had kind of not really cut his teeth and young guy rocking up what does he know um so they saw it, you know, Darren was a very visionary guy and he saw it as a, a great opportunity and he was like, yep, no problem, got no issue in it. Um, uh, just We just need to make sure there's trust. So if you're going to say you're going to be somewhere, you need to be there and we need to, we, no drop off in your work rate or anything. So actually, I think I worked even harder and delivered more for Carlsberg when we got the wire mill than I was beforehand because I wanted to overprove that it wasn't affecting me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we we traded. We literally <laughs> we had to wait outside. I took a week's holiday, um, so we could set it up and waited outside the doors. Uh, some complication with solicitor fees, and we didn't realise that massive pub company were were heading into administration, which is who we bought it from. Um, so literally the day we got it or got the keys, massive went went into administration and forty sites. Like, they took it down something like ten or eleven the day after. Um, and we were jumping through hoops and we'd got our first pub um, lease. Uh, and then the Lehman Brothers, about a week later, smashed all over the news and we crashed into a recession. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and just yeah, loads and loads and loads of stories about the meal. We all moved in together and we put a chef back onto cocaine and gave another one a heart attack and, you know, Everything didn't really pan out quite how we wanted it to. It was, you know, just massive, massive early day learning. And we had met Jay um, down at the cricket club. We managed to secure Sussex Cricket Club as one of the, the contracts, Carlsberg. And we had met him, and uh, I said to Anthony, oh, no, "Let's let's give him a call. Let's see if he's interested." So he came up. He looked at it. I sold him the dream. I told him how amazing Yummy was going to be, and, and did my sales pitch on him. Um, and Katie, who is his uh, girlfriend at the time and said oh, i was gonna you know, build this incredible company and he needed to did he want to get involved <laughs> he was like yep yeah, i'm in um yeah. and that was it we were we were away just the, the the four of us idea for me to stay Anthony dropped out of carlsberg and, and went into the business and i stayed at carlsberg i then had uh, finn and suddenly i had you know huge pressure carlsberg pressure i'd, I'd gone up in ranks again um, and i had much much more senior role new baby and trying to run a pub um so it uh yeah it's kind of we 
went through a bit of a change in what we were all going to do. And then we had this master plan that we were going to build a a kind of destination pub empire um, from across the South Coast. So we went to um, went to Kent and um, picked up a a pub with Shepherd Neem down in Kent, which uh, was a waterside pub. So, yeah, so a story of of 12 years of of different things and the more fun things are people falling through decking and suing us or you know, falling downstairs and stopping our journey or fires. You know, there's, there's so much that's happened in, in our very short history. Um, well, I was going to ask a bit about that. So, you know, going back um, slightly, it's quite funny that a theme or interesting as a theme through your career is, you know, always being in the headmasters or boys, uh, you know, boss's office, you know, uh, it seems to be a, a theme, which is quite uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely you're right. Um, <laughs> uh, which is which is why uh, when we sat down, when we got to six sites and we sat down with, um, I call him Uncle Luke and uh, different PE guys and we met various different people come and look through and kick through all of the, the, the P&L and they were really interested in investing and what was our growth plan like and Luke hadn't invested in Draft House yet. Um, so he was kind of proactively looking for for different businesses. And I think there was maybe they saw a synergy of what we were bringing to kind of the food element within independent pub groups, but also how we were going through the buildings. So how we were using all of the space across the entire building. Um, and I literally, I sat, I remember it vividly, I, I sat with him on table number one, which is the table that I got back from the HMRC um, debt collection guys at the auction when we walked in Summerstown and just sat opposite him and said, uh, if you invest in us, I think I'm going to be sacked within the next three months. And uh, he just, he looked and he smiled and I said, you can't give me any reassurances that I wouldn't be sacked from the board, could you? And he said, no, that's one thing I will, will, would never do. And I was like, okay, uh, maybe maybe PE is not going to work for us. So, um yeah, I think uh, I'll definitely be in the headmaster's office of uh, PE related. But for all the right reasons, it's all about driving business. And I might be completely wrong. You know, it's, it's about driving the business forward and innovating and finding new ways and not accepting no for an answer. Um, it's pretty much the reason why I've I've been in, in those different environments. Um, and it's just me, really. It's just my, my bullish approach. I've taken, I've learned corporate, I've learned how to, to deal with things from a corporate point of view, especially around people. Um, but I've also learned how to kind of um, scrap it out, I suppose, easiest easiest way. So I think that's what the guys relate to me quite well. Well, I think I think it's a, what would you say, it's an honest, if maybe even naive way to think. But you're right, I'm 100% with you. I'm you in that way. That, you know, you're just trying to do your best. You're just trying... But what I learned the other month was um, I was watching a, a video with Mark Ritson in it, and he said, in all business, there's a game of chess happening on top of the table, which is what you're talking about, which is the drive business forward, do what it takes, you know, whatever it takes, all this, which is exactly the way I am, and I don't see any other game. But he said there's also a game of chess going on under the table. Exactly. Uh, The strategic, you know, when when Nigel said to me he knew nothing about it, he's an incredibly senior sales manager. He was genuine. Yeah. He he knew nothing about it. So I totally agree. And, and, you know, you have to have those those plans if you're going to go into running a larger scale business. Um, 
and I think it's just about what what direction you want to take and and what what really makes you want to get up every day. You know, when we got to the size of six, and I was looking at P and Ls every day, and I was managing the the wage line and and dropping things in, and you know, giving the guys video calls and having them all on video calls at eight o'clock in the morning every Monday, and they would have to take me through the P and L. And at the beginning, it was really exciting. Loved it. You know, I loved the interaction that we had across the group and how. We kind of are taking the mick about them sort of being in bed, but actually they could all be together. And I saw their learning and I saw their development and I saw everything they were doing. I was really engaged um, and thought it was a great thing. And we could really, you know, at, at that time before Summerstown Fire, we were building capital that we could potentially go and buy a group, another group, you know, maybe a group of six or a group of 15 or, you know, we, we were really putting and we've always had the vision that we would always act as a big company despite our size. So the training that you would get from us would be as world-class as if you would go to Stonegate or, you know, our reporting would be as world-class as if you would go to a, 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 an EI managed operation and they would spend hundreds of thousands of quid on it. That's always been our vision and, <clears throat> and that's how we run Yummy now. You know, I look under the skirt, I can tell you everything um, that goes on. And um, But with the, the Summerstown fire, you know, they, they say 85% of businesses never recover from a fire. That pressure and the difference in the dynamic of what happened in that period of two years was just incredible you know and um it transformed our entire approach of of what we wanted to do and the market was shifting you know we, we saw the market changing quite dramatically and it was getting harder and harder and harder to find quality and we were always traveling and we were never really in the pubs you know and, and doing what we loved to do um so you had to have that trade-off that a bit like the graphic design, you know, and the, the being at St. Martin's, that that trade-off of of being in there and, and doing it all with your own hands versus having to step back and watch it happen within your business. Um is it, and that's the currently, you know, that's that's the 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 current trade. Now what do you do? Sorry for the brief interruption. I'm Alex and I'm the founder and CEO of Engage Interactive, and we're sponsors of this fantastic supersonic podcast which I hope you're enjoying, by the way. If you're wondering who Engage are, then let me quickly clear that up for you. We're the results-driven digital agency for ambitious companies. And our unique blend of creative, technical, and performance marketing, coupled with an obsession for delivering quality, is repeatedly proven to increase sales and market share. We simply like to call this attention to digital. So if you're in a bit of a rut with your digital, looking for ways to drive performance from low-risk, innovative solutions to challenges facing your business, then just head over to engageinteractive.co.uk to read about how we've helped numerous global and challenger brands from Whitbread and Jet2 to Bills and Yorkshire Tea all succeed online. That's engageinteractive.co.uk. And now back to the podcast. So if we sort of move forward a bit then into the, the sort of COVID times, you became a bit of a poster boy for it and... <laughs> like in, in the most positive way and you know I'm always talking to people about you and about it and about what you did and we, we ran a, a social media workshop on Tuesday for um, Propel and you know I, I should have sent you a note but you know there was a, a, a slide of you and all the stuff you were doing and I was talking about how this was best practice but it didn't come from a textbook and it didn't come from a you know sort of oh strategically I'll put out this content you know everything it just felt was 
natural from the heart and unfolded in front of your eyes. Um, you know, I, I think anyway, um, unless you were doing something else. But it just, <laughs> just there was no, there was no, no other chess game, mate. There was, yeah, there was no other chess board. But, but I think that's what made it so great, and I think it elevated your business and, and got you talked about, noticed, being forward thinking, agile, all that stuff. So, you know, let's go back. You know, COVID happening, lockdown is being talked about. What happened from there? Yeah, it goes back to uh, you know, dad. Dad lost everything, so I have the the core hard experience of um, being that that kid that was at school and one minute you know walking in school as if nothing's happening, and the next day uh, you've got bailiffs at the door taking everything that you own and and everything that's precious to you and that you've known at the age of fifteen away. Um, and he hid it. He hid everything. So. Um, and do I blame him? Absolutely blame him. You know, he had an auction business that had antiques and it had um, secondhand furniture. And I'd be out on the van with the porters, pick, you know, doing house clearances and then you'd flog that furniture on. And again, Ikea, Habitat, all those kind of brands were just establishing themselves. You know, if you were going to get furniture for your home, you would you would go and buy it from an auction gallery. That was that was the norm. Or yeah. um, brand new from the, from the shop, you know, from the... Can you remember back into all the high streets where you had the furniture store, you know, with all of the, the stuff? So what he he, yeah, and you oh, there's loads of them up here though. No, the the massive, beautiful built buildings that were the buildings, you know, they were they were full of beds and sofas and side cabinets that have been made by the men in the back warehouses, you know. So yeah, my world disappeared. You know, I, I, my my entire world was uh, was taken from me and. The last thing when when this the pressure is on you from a, as you are fully aware of, of somebody that doesn't work for somebody else and you own your own business it's always pressure and you're always working um, and Lucy struggles with that a lot when we go on holiday and I, I, I can never turn off I just just can't um, into week two I can um, but in week one I'm still there you know I'm still looking at reports I'm still doing everything really. So when you take that commitment to run your own business, you've, you've got to take it and you've got to take it for the good times and the bad times. And you've got to make a decision that do you want to contribute to, to somebody else's business or do you want to grow your own? And we we made that call and and so had he. But for me, he put his head in the sand and, and gave up and thought somebody was going to come and rescue it all. And you know, he lied all the way through to my mum, right the way through to the day that we were being kicked out by the, the bailiffs saying that there was a cottage up the road that he had secured and the kids will be fine. And I've got a younger brother, he's three years younger than me. And for months and months and months, I was protecting him, you know, from the constant rows downstairs and you know, the 3 a.m. tantra, you know, just it was just a horrific time in my life. So when we and I rebuilt myself, you know, I didn't I didn't feel like I, I took that personally in board and I didn't go get cancelling, blah, blah, blah. And I just took it all on the chin and I and I grew up with it. Um and then when this came along and when we've had the control, you know, for 12 years we've had the control of our business. It's our fault if things fail, you know, if, if the pub isn't operating properly or or whatever. But when the fire happened at Summerstown, that control was taken away from us. It wasn't our fault. You know, somebody had flicked a cigarette from a flat behind um, into the gutter. It'd been one of the hottest summers ever. And boom, the, the roof was on fire. You know, my team were phenomenal and they, you know, evacuated that building within three minutes and there were over 350 people. And, you know, it was a, a Friday night at eight o'clock. 
we're just we were in massive massive growth we were in 18 18 percent like flight sales growth absolutely smashing out of the park all six sites were in growth all six sites were green i'd got a brand new management team that i'd brought in across all of the business we'd nurtured a whole load of the the younger generation through and i've got some incredibly loyal i call them kids because they're all younger than me so really young you know incredibly loyal talented kids that work for us and and we were we were flying um, and then literally that night, the rug got pulled from under us. And mm. I remember being on the train, um, ringing Peter Wells uh, and saying, Pete, turn on the turn on the telly. And he was in the garden with the kids and it was about uh, half past eight. And he'd answered the phone. And what do you mean turn on the telly? I said, turn on BBC because we just shut down Houston. <laughs> and uh, wow. he was like, oh, what, what are you talking about? I said, Summerstown's on fire. Uh, I'm on a train. I don't know if it's going to be there when I get there. But I'm currently heading there now. Um, I just wanted to let you know before you saw it on the news, um, but it's. I think it's gone, Pete. I think. I think we're done. I think it's finished. Um, and then got down there and just saw this building on fire and all of the fire engines and just people everywhere and you know it was like a bomb had gone off and this was sort of two two and a half hours after the fire had started and all of the streets were full of smoke and we literally had shut down down Houston. Um, and went up and, and Anthony and I saw each other and we just looked at each other uh, when we got there. Jay Jay couldn't get in and we just like, that's it, man, we're done. It's all gone. You know, 12, 12 years worth of work is, is now gone. We're never going to get back from this. And then we, we sort of looked and went, ah, no, that's rubbish. We'll be fine. Come on, let's crack on. So we, we got the, the lead fire lady and she was amazing. And she talked us through and she said, look, you know, we've saved it. Um, don't don't worry, it's not going to carry on burning. Um, we, we've literally saved it. And then um, everybody started to sort of go away about half 12, one o'clock in the morning. And actually, I sat on two of the, the outdoor tape chairs. We just sat down and the police were there because the, the fire, um, it was still deemed as a potential um, kind of that. They didn't, they couldn't hand it back, if you like. Um, and we're like, right, okay, what do we do? I said, dude, we're going to open it. You know, let's, let's get it trading. And he's like, mate, do you mean the roof's gone? You know, what, how are we going to do that? I said, the roof's gone, but the rest of it's all right. You know, we can do this. Let's let's get going. Um, and literally, Pete turned up. He was heading to France. He came down at about nine o'clock. We got the building handed to us at six o'clock. We took a walk through. And then every lead fire uh, official, because it had literally, I think it was three, not that long after Grenfell. It was the, it was the largest fire in London outside of Grenfell um, at, mm-hmm. at, at, the, at the time. Um, they'd done some factory, there was like some warehouse factory fires and things like that, but they were classified as out, out of the radius. So it was you know, one of the largest fires. So all of these, all of the crews kept them coming in um, and dropping. So we had actually had six different fire uh, stations attend the fire. There were 72 fire officers. Um, so they all dropped in as they were going on to different shouts or they were coming off and they came in with like the radar heat guns and kind of looking at all the wood and stuff. And every single one of them came in and said, guys, the crews that were here last night treated this place like Buckingham Palace. And we were like, what? He said, yeah, they got a shout from the Houston crew saying that this was their favorite boozer and they needed to save it. Um, And yeah. um, And the the summer, I remember the Christmas before we'd had a Christmas party with the guys and we'd noticed that they had all in the fire kit. And I was like, guys, you're not paying for a thing. You know, you're here. You're enjoying yourselves. We love having you here all of the time on your different split shifts, but Christmas is on us this year. You don't have to pay for anything. That's brilliant. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're like, honestly, Christmas is on us. So literally, uh, what, seven months later, 
uh, that act of kindness uh, in effect gets paid back so they'd covered everything they'd put plastic sheeting down there are guys going in with um, air uh, the whole air kit going in protecting all the furniture uh, they opened all of the windows on the first floor they created chutes with tarpaulin for the water that was going into the roof to come out the first floor windows uh, and literally yeah every crew chief was going this place has been i've never seen this before and we're like, yeah, whatever. You're just saying it. And they've got no, seriously, guys. They have they have looked after you here. They've they've really wanted to try and do it. And apparently, that's because it came from the the crew at Houston on the shout. So, uh, anyway, the Pete turned up, and I said, right, when we're gonna, I grabbed two hard hats, literally belted out of the house into a taxi onto a train uh, and down. And I'd grabbed uh, two hard hats from the shed, and uh, I I gave Pete a hard hat and said, right, come on then, we're we're opening Friday. <laughs> And he just looked and he went, we're not opening on Friday. I said, come on, come on, we'll show you around. Anthony, I've been, oh, I've been in for a few hours. It's absolutely fine. It's not a problem. We get it open. Um, looked around and he just walked in and he just, just shook his head. And I said, dude, we've heard all of the stories about what insurance companies do. And we can't afford for this pub to be closed. It will take us down. You know, the, the cash flow that comes through here will just kill us. No matter what the cost savings are, it's going to kill us. Um, so we, we just can't have it. We can't have it going down. And then um, Roger Bell, who's uh, one of the great property guys at Charles Wells, turned up and he just big smile on his face as soon as Anthony and I appeared with our hard hats on. I was like, come on, Rog, you know, when, when are we going to open it? And he's like, well, yeah, maybe four, five months, maybe we'll be able to get it trading. I went, end of the month. Come on, Rog, we can do it. End of the month, 23 days. It's like, mate, there's no way this place is going to get open in 23 days. Anyway, we opened it in 21 days. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, got it, got it trading. So um, what, insurance didn't didn't pay for another twenty months. What what was stopping you opening though? Uh, the roof had pretty much gone. Was unsafe with the slates. So these big uh, Dutch uh, listed slates, as we now know, um, were were tumbling down and just crashing on the floor right. with a bit of wind. So, you know, literally the whole structure was unsafe. Uh, the amount of water that they had pumped into the building had gone through all of the walls. Um, uh, lit, just, you know, t- t- the volume of water, it was water damage mostly. So uh, lit cozy, the, the cocktail club in the basement was flooded. You know, you literally had two foot of water down there with the volume of water that had gone through the rest of the building. So floorboards were coming up, um, you know, water was, was shooting down walls, um, f- ceilings were falling in. Um, the entire accommodation level, which is where we had all of the guys, was just completely destroyed. It was all of the all of the roof had all fallen in and just completely destroyed. So, um, but the actual main pub level, trading level, um, was was okay. You know, it, it weathered weathered the storm um, and was fine. I was like, okay, but we can let's just trade the pub. You know, forget cozy, forget the first floor, forget everything else. Let's just trade the pub. So we managed, and Charles Wells were, were just incredible. Um, and we'd picked the right partner um, to, to be with. And, and they were like, yeah, let's, let's come on, let's just go for it. Um, so we put in a crash barrier, which is sort of an extension to, to scaffolding comes out. So if slates did fall down, they would hit the crash barrier and then not come into the pub mm. or onto the pub floor. Um, so we did that, which allowed us to open. Um, and then we had to put all the scaffolding on and put a hard hat on it. So a, a massive tin roof. Um, and obviously there was huge disruption, but I just wanted it trading. And, you know, I just wanted people love that pub and, and they would forgive the scaffolding and, and that kind of stuff just to be able to come and, and be with us, which they ultimately did. Um, 
So the, we, we call it fire fatigue now. Um, I don't think we realise the pressure that we put ourselves under for, for 18 months and the constant, you know, worry of cash and, you know, just we, we didn't know if it was going to carry, carry on trading and having to have the workmen there through everything and, and doing it. So we just put – and then having to operate the other pubs as well whilst we're having all of the distractions with Summerstown, I can see how it takes people down. You know, if I was on my own and I didn't have the boys, there's no way I would have got through it. I don't think it would have uh, would have done me in. So um, I always would have had to bring in additional help. And we had Ash with us who had joined us for a while as well. And he was yeah. awesome. Um, he was, you know, like a fourth director for a while. And the guy was just incredible. So we had a massive support network around us and our team really stepped up and, and all of the guys were just fantastic. So we had that experience. If you kind of fast forward to COVID, so... We'd just been through it and I was working in the pub. We'd all agreed that we were going to downscale the business. We evaluated each of the businesses and understood how much they were returning for us and what we wanted to do. And at the, also during the time of the fire, we managed to buy the freehold of the wire mill. So we kind of really pushed ourselves to the limit. We've got lots of rules about cash flow and how much we return in reserves and worst case scenarios. But we had the opportunity of buying the wire mill. So we went for it. Um, and got brilliant backing from HSBC, who were who were fantastic with us. So, bought the free the freehold of the wire mill, and then we sort of said you know, the the ultimate goal was to build a freehold estate. It was never just to grow an estate for the sake of growing an estate of pubs, um, because we kind of understood how quickly one site could be performing brilliantly, and then for no reason really it would start going backwards. So you then didn't have a freehold asset, and all you started doing was was paying somebody else and and filling somebody else's pot. And, and one thing that drummed it home to us from the fire is we hadn't got a, a kind of a pension plan. You know, we were almost going along as if we were still 21. Um, and none of us is getting any younger, but we hadn't really built any plans for the future. And the whole kind of let's build 50 sites and sell out for millions of quid mm. um, was kind of a thing of the past. You know what I mean? Um, and kind of all the the acceleration of that opportunity. So we we decided we were going to go down a freehold route and start looking at freeholds. So start disposing of the lease sites and getting rid of the ones that weren't really cutting it for us. So we managed to to sell two. So we just completed on on giving back the grove to Shepherdine and selling the clarence. So we've gone down to four, uh, and then yeah, COVID hit. So all of those uh, emotive. I'm not going to let my kids down. Um, I'm going to prove to them, you know, my brother has got a very different story of what happened with my dad losing everything and, and what happened. And so is my mum to, to my story, you know, and ultimately history allows you to cloud things, isn't it? And different things come into the conversation. So I started, I wanted to document it really. Um, so I started doing daily videos of, uh, of what I was going through and, and what I was doing and, at the time, I didn't want to share it. And then I got a phone call, uh, a couple of phone calls um, during that week. I call it the week of building up to furlough. And I, you know, all the different WhatsApp groups and Anthony was on. And we kept on hearing stories about brands that I love um, calling their, their guys in and saying they don't have any jobs anymore. And they're shoring up the sites and really sorry, but we've got to protect the business and you're all gone. And you know, that got to the the Wednesday of, of lockdown or just before lockdown. And every day we would have, we, we called them um, the sort of, they would have their Cobra meeting and we'd have our Python meeting between the three of us. And everything that we were doing was to protect our team. Yeah. You know, every idea, every every possible scenario of what we could think of that we could achieve was to, to find money 
okay, it probably wouldn't be how much they were actually earning, but just some money uh, to protect them all. Mm. Um, and that was that was the focus. And then, yeah, then I kind of was doing daily videos just so that if, if everything did disappear, I could say to the boys, there you go, you know, not now, but five, six years time. That's what I did to try and save my business. Yeah. Um, it didn't it, it didn't work. Um, sorry. Um, but but, you know, that's what your dad did. Um, and that was that was the whole driver. That was 100. percent It was it was people, you know, and, and it was to be able to demonstrate that to my kids and be able to demonstrate it to our people that we've done everything we could do to to save them or protect them and and protect protect us. So yeah, and we started hearing some real horror stories by the Wednesday, um, and I just kept on getting comms from Kate and different people saying, you know, hold on, hold, just hold on. There's something coming um just just please you know don't don't give in don't don't stop and i was working at summerstown you know and i was asking my guys to put themselves at risk and work and we went out to everybody and we said look it, it's completely your choice you know we are hearing loads of places are closing we have been told the government's told everybody not to come to us yet they're not shutting us we have got to get you working guys if we don't have cash coming in the tills there's nothing for you we don't have any any f- form of backup you know, there's there's no cash reserves to keep us going. There's no way of us going and raising money and share options. We're, we're done for. So, if you want to work, if you don't want to, don't work. Not one single one of them said they're not going to work. We packed five of our guys on planes as soon as we could. So, Billy, you know, Australia, Thailand, you know, different different people came to us and we said just go get out now because we think something big big's coming and you're not going to be able to get out. So just just go get out. Wow. Um, so so they did and um yeah and then i started getting phone calls from different people who were you know going through the same things and just saying dude what are you doing and you know know, i just need to talk to somebody and i was like okay bollocks i'll start putting these videos up online you know let's let's see if i can help people and and show people what i'm doing and everything that i'm doing if you want it have it you know if you if you want what i've done we decided pretty quickly that we were going to do the shop um, and we saw it as an opportunity because we saw the supermarkets crumbling. So our supply chain was still really strong and we were like, okay, this could be great. You know, we could really help people and we could keep some income coming into the business and protect our people and pay for them. You know, where are we going to do it? And ultimately we had a parachute plan, you know, walk away from London, keep the wire mill. You know, it's, it's, it's ultimately our, our pension and it's an asset that we've got. And we got, we, we worked incredibly hard for 12 years to get an asset, uh, a massively, uh, undervalued price to what the market would pay for it so you know we um we've built an incredible business with that that pub so we are literally parachute plan okay our head to the mill and i'll set everything up and we we start a, a shop from down there um any other ideas let's do takeaways you know let's mother's day we're not going to be probably not going to be able to do mother's day can we get mother's day delivered do i just drive around in the car and we do all this so all of this was happening in in those two weeks and then obviously furlough came we did a Anthony did a worst case PL, which was I think was six six weeks, was our worst case PL. Um and we like we were out of cash. Yeah. By by the time we hit uh begin end of end of April, beginning of May, we're we're done. We're we're completely exhausted, we're out of cash. So okay, let's see if we can make these different things work. Um so yeah, so was it was it a, a strategic chess plan and a play note? Did it just come from the heart and it was uh, entirely designed to help other people that were going through it. And we thought that we had some experience that we could share and we could be that kind of shoulder to, to lean on because of what we'd gone through the fire together. And we had each other, 
Um, and could we be those people that people could reach out for? And could we just say to them, look, you know, it's not perfect, but we found a, an online platform to be able to create a shop and it's meant to be for fish and chip takeaway, but we're customizing it. And I'm currently working on it. I've had a week ahead start, you know, and we already made this decision. We were going to do this. So if you want it, just come and have it. You copy and paste it, whatever. Yeah, I'll give you the logins. You can see what what margins, what, you know, where the money's coming from, how we've costed everything, what we're doing. If you want it, please just just take it, have it, start it in your pub, and I don't care if it's two miles away or a hundred miles away, just have it. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. I was going to say, what response did you get from from the community then? Like, you know, with going out and doing... You know, the sort of delivery stuff, the takeaway stuff. There was, you know, police were coming up to check out Wiremill, all that sort of stuff. What, what was going on there? Yeah, it's phenomenal. So um, I was only meant to go down for the Saturday through to Monday, um, set everything up. So I loaded the car up, um, watched Boris's announcements and, and Rishi and kind of that pressure pot um, kind of almost just well, walked into the bedroom and just burst into tears to be completely honest um, and um, they were like okay you know let's still carry on you know this isn't a solution for us we still need solutions because rateable values are too high we're not going to get any of that money you know we've still got people to pay we've still got suppliers to pay we had outstanding you know nearly quarter of a million quid I think in in kind of outstanding um, debt so I was like, okay, right, I'll go to the mill, set everything up. Um, spoke to Joe, who used to be uh, kind of our success manager in London and, and a great kid, and I said to him, dude, you know, you live there now. You know, you, you're happy to take it forward and, and run with it. And he was like, yeah, anything, you know, just just shove it my way. So drove down on the Saturday, and I sort of joked and laughed and said I bought the wall, wall cabinet down, and the whole office was here, and we set up the office in the top of the mill. And we then kind of understood the different implications around trying to do Mother's Day and and um, we started doing the shop. So we launched a shop on uh, the Saturday night and we just went through everything. I drove through London and picked up a load of stock from the site. So we were just emptying all of the pubs out um, and taking it all down to the mill. Then we could tell on Sunday, had an absolute blast on Sunday because there were about four or five of us there. And we were just like, come on, guys, let's, let's just crack on and back to the old days of just grafting out and, and you know, really having some fun. So we worked together and we delivered Mother's Day. It was fantastic. You know, the Monday, Jay was like not feeling too good. Mm. I was like, okay, 
what do you mean not finished? I'll go, a slight cough, nothing to worry about. I just think it's because we worked so hard over the weekend and I think it's the last two weeks have just caught up with me. So I just think, you know, I've got one of those colds. And I was like, okay, fine. Well, Joe and I carry on. So we did the, the Monday and then on the Tuesday, Jay uh, rang me on his way up um, driving to the pub and he's like, yeah, Stacey's driving, I'm not feeling great. And I was like, mate, turn around, go home. You know, if you've got this thing, we've got to stay away from you. He's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he's a typical chef where he just battles through everything anyway. So he rocked up. Um, I put him on the terrace. (laughs) Joe and I stood behind the doors (laughs) at the top, peering out at him. I said, Jason, go home. You know, this, I think you've got it, mate. And um, that's now got implications for all of us. So I'd only packed three pairs of pants. (laughs) Um, and a couple of pairs of shorts I was maybe back on Monday Uh, so a very very difficult conversation to Lucy I was like babe I've got to isolate down here Um, I can't come home I can't risk the the, have the risk of bringing it back Um, and then yeah Jay deteriorated at a speed of knots um, to the extent where Stacey was the point of calling an ambulance on on Wednesday night at two in the morning he couldn't breathe um and uh he was just coughing so horrifically and um they they said that they wouldn't come out so um yeah horrific so but that then that then started the journey of uh us all self-isolating together so we uh we locked the doors and we agreed that we'd go down the route of none of us have got it none of us have shown symptoms but we'd still carry on with the same processes and distance from each other and hand washing and everything and just take real precautions of what we were doing with the boxes for customers. So that's where the sort of idea came from that we have people drive down, pop open their boot, reverse down, we put the box in the back of the car, shut the boot and they drive off, you know, have as least contact points as possible. Um, And um, none of us, none of us got ill, Um, but Jason definitely had it. Yeah. Just an incredible 14 days of my life that I'll never forget. I had, People self-isolating, crying on the door because we were taking them groceries that they couldn't get from the supermarkets. And we had uh, relatives calling from America um, all over the world saying, you know, we've heard that you're you're doing these meals and you're doing these these sort of voluntary donations. And I'm really worried about my dad. And I've just sit on a Facebook group that you're doing this. And would you mind going around and checking on him? And I was like, no, it's absolutely fine. Where does he live? You know, I'll, I'll take him some veg and some 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 food. So let me know where he is. And yeah, I was turning up at doorsteps of these people that were were back in wartime rationing. You know, they're eating spam. And you know, one lady um, who volunteered. We kind of we then sort of spread our network and we went to local surgeries who knew the people from Age UK. Jason knew one of the girls that worked for Age UK, so we reached out to her and she told us about a whole load of houses and and where we should be be concentrating efforts. And we went to the surgeries and we said, look, you know, we understand the data sensitive, but we also know that people are being taken out of hospital. You know, a guy called Sid, 96 years old, out of hospital, been in hospital for something like three and a half months, no family left, um, taken back to a flat, dropped off at the flat, no provisions, you know, no no checking if he had any food uh, or anything. And he literally hadn't been there for three and a half months. So what's, you know, what's he going to have? seriously mm-hmm. um, and this amazing team of volunteers from the, the nursery reached out to us and said we've heard you're doing this could we be involved we happily drive and we take all the thing you know what process do we need to set up and i said guys just email or call us what you need we'll make it available to you you know whether it be fresh boxes of veg or ready meals that we're making and um we have it for you 
So I'd get a phone call at half 11 at night um, saying that this guy had just been discharged from hospital and he was back at home and there was no meals on wheels for him over the weekend, but his neighbours had agreed to cook. Could we do the meals? So she came down and picked up a box of sort of 15 meals that they then put in their freezers and they looked after him for the next three weeks um, at weekend. So that humanity that came from people and that passion and kindness was incredible to be, be a part of and was was really you know just uh, a, a very very special time for us to to be involved with and um just seeing seeing just how how much of it was out in an environment where you know the wild was surrounded by incredibly wealthy areas you know mm. you're not talking about poverty stricken parts of the uk so but the, the the volume of people that are out there and vulnerable and don't have enough money for food or didn't understand how to be able to place an order to get it delivered and were terrified of going out you know, this whole project fear thing um was just was just crazy so joe and i yeah just just worked 24 7 we, we didn't really stop actually um we got a few hours kip every now and then and um, we'd have a bit of downtime during the day before collections and then we'd have collections kind of we'd be picking all the way through the morning and i'd be speaking to different volunteer groups or trying to figure out who we could help next and where where we could get stuff done and the response from the community uh, was was incredible um and the response from the community now is incredible um the kindness that we've been showing the the acceleration of the business is just phenomenal um the way that people have remembered what we've done and and are coming in you know we are still we are still seeing people that are only coming out for the first time and when they're coming in they're, they're saying yeah we followed the story and we love the gnomes and prattling around on facebook and uh, at one point i had everybody convinced that i was self-isolating in the mill on my own with a gnome called joe <laughs> um i don't know i don't know whether or not that actually worked or not or people <laughs> saw through it but in in my heady times of day number eight or day number nine whatever it was yeah, uh, it was a it was a brilliant plan mate i was i was having a great time um and joe literally is looking at me going dude i think you're losing the plot here well i'm just thinking about time as well because i need to let you go soon because i know you're so busy but like there was sort of four things before some fun questions so just say thank you to you um for for dropping by my house um and what was probably june that yeah, that was a, a fish a fish visit, wasn't it? But, yeah, um, yeah. No, you're you're more than welcome, mate. It was. Uh, yeah, I, I saw all of your stuff about Mrs. Uh, Mac having to isolate and you being yeah. stuck in parts of the house, and yeah, you know, I thought you needed cheering up. It, well, it did, and also you were pretty much the first like human stranger that I, you know what I mean. That I, not stranger, but outside of the odd neighbour or the family that I'd seen, and it was. Weirdly, it felt weird, but I'm glad it was you of, of all people. But what was funny was I was on I was on a call, I think, in the in the bedroom working, and yeah, and I, I was out the window, going, "I just leave it there, mate. I'm I'm on a call, you know." And then you were like, "No, no, no, it's a beer delivery for Mr. McCullough." And I was like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, just leave it there." <laughs> Oh, hi! Shit! I was literally like, "Shall I just do do one now?" Because I was going, "Is he going to answer the door?" Really annoyed, and it's just not worth it. And I'll leave him a post-it note. <laughs> and I, I just I backed up a bit, going, "Yeah, should I just do a scarf or should I hold it out?" But no, I'll do one more. I'll wait just one more. I'd like to see him and say hi. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Beer, beer, beer delivery. It was a lovely hot day as well, and, and you were um, it was buying yeah. your, your fish for your fish and chips, you know. 
Yeah, well, so that was just when people were, were allowed back out for kind of the, the shopping bit. So I was on pretty much on my own 24-7 driving on motorways and, and, and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was one of the, the weeks where people were beginning to be re-released to do their shopping and the queues had died down a bit and people are experimenting with different places opening up. So it was uh, it was a good trip. But, yeah, we sold, I think we sold about 150 fish and chips that day. So I had to drive down and get more fish. Oh, it was amazing. That's that's just the back of Fatboy Slim's house. That's that's what these house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, cool. So, um, eat out to help out. How did that go? Yeah, phenomenal. Um, we really embraced it, um, and it was was in, absolutely incredible. We added complication. We decided uh, we we um, we've always wanted to invest in the mill, and now we've got the freehold. We we thought it was the right idea. So. We started putting down um, concrete and everything for putting up a pagoda, and it will be finished uh, next Tuesday. So we're currently closed during the day up until three o'clock, and then we open putting this gazebo. So it's taken about four or five weeks to actually finish it off, and it will be incredible, and it will transform the business and really kind of protect us without further lockdowns, etc. Um, so we were going through all of that, having to put up the pagoda, um, and we were going through really strict regime about the guys coming back so i was really really clear um we ran a, a red team and a blue team and the last thing i wanted to do is have the site taken down so we were having to wait for guys to come back agreeing that they had self-isolated 14 days and they wouldn't come back and, and infect the team so first week tough really really tough um because we were running, running on a skeleton crew um second week great um, blistering hot sunshine um, just absolutely fantastic and um, we were doing yeah the same levels of trade on a Monday Tuesday Wednesday that we would do every bank holiday Monday of the year you know it's just mental mental trade so it's been a great shot in the arm it's been a fantastic cash flow um, we had a lot of people that um, we would never have seen before so some great new custom um, you know I hit the front page of the Daily Star two weeks ago by saying we had some people that shouldn't be going to pubs and we shouldn't I stand by that 24-7 they shouldn't be allowed out um, <laughs> and they were bloody horrible um, and the team had to deal with them but um, that's kind of the, the rough of the smooth really um, it's yeah it has been phenomenal I think it's been phenomenal for hostility I think Kate and and everybody did an incredible job to get that support drilled in and I think we delivered for the government and I think now They've looked favourably on our sector because of the of the incredible lobbying that those people and those 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 phenomenal people have done for us. Um, you know, they, 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 we just got to keep on driving and pushing it. So yeah, Eat Out Help Out was fantastic, and as, if I, we get a second wave of it in in January time, great. You know, I think we've contributed back fifty percent from the stats that I've read. When you look at the money that we've put in from labour and that kind of stuff, so it's a win win really. And the inflation and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think a little bit. I don't know if we'd had more time to prepare, would it have been as successful? You just don't know, do you? I think everything's thrown on us on us at last minute at the minute, and you just got to be able to react. Um, and supply chain was just getting back on its feet. You know, we we literally rinsed through so many different SKUs that we wouldn't normally do. I was changing the menu every day. You know, it just just took so much pressure. Um, but the guys delivered phenomenal and from the different stuff i'm reading the different you know lounges and those kind of guys it seems to have been a fantastic success for everybody just when we're talking about deliveries and all the rest of it you i mean if you don't mind sharing this story you told me about someone that was having a birthday party yeah and 
the I think you were doing like catering for you know legal households and you know all that stuff. And yep. well, you can tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Is this the uh, Pavlo the cake one, or is this? Yeah, the, I think it was we, like they, they went for the bottom menu, but you went over and above. Yeah, so we we put out um, again. We were getting all these different phone calls from Sheffield or Liverpool or whatever. We're missing my dad's fiftieth or sixtieth, or you know, it's my mum's eightieth. That kind of stuff, and they're isolating, and we want to do something nice. Could you could you help? And we're like, absolutely. You know, I've got the boys, and we're taking five of our team uh, couldn't get furlough. Uh, which we found out in the the first week. So we went to them and said, look, we'll carry on paying your salary um, or paying you as if you were on furlough, um, but we need you to move to the wire mill um, and and work. Um, And they're like, yep, happy days. And I said, we're putting you in the hotel room. We don't want anybody to miss out. So you you need to work. And if you're happy to do that, you're not going to be working all of the time, but we want to do these different things. So they were like, yeah, cool. So, we were able to bring a bit of the commercial side back into the the offer quite quickly, um, and with the shop. So we um, we had them working, and, and we had a couple of them who were chefs, and uh, we put out a menu and said, "Look, if you're at home and you want to celebrate, but you don't want to cook, or you're a family member want to buy them a treat, please do so." We did fish and chips and burgers because we were doing it as part of the takeaway offer, and it was really easy from a stock kind of in and elite foods who are our guys down in New Haven um, were just incredible. We you know we were over the 35 grand, I think. And Gav was like, mate, whatever you want, just keep on buying it. We know you're going to pay us back. So we had our supply chain open. Nobody shut the doors on us at all. Um, and so we put our menu. So we put our pretty basic menu. We said, you know, it's a, a bit of a treats menu and some of the puddings and stuff. Uh, and then what we would do is when they ordered the menu, we'd ramp it up and we'd go to them and ask them what's their favorite food or, you know, what do they absolutely love? And one guy, Beef Wellington. So we made them a full all singing, all dancing Beef Wellington. Um, pavlova. Somebody absolutely loved pavlova. So Jay made this massive, amazing pavlova and macaroon cake. And I would just rock up to their door, say I was a delivery driver um, for their goods, step away from the door. We packaged it all up in in kind of in the cardboard and they come to the door and um, I'd say, look, here's happy birthday. This is from your daughter or this is from from whoever. Um, hope you have a lovely, lovely time. And one guy just burst into tears, you know, the, the Pablo, the cake guy. Um, he um, was was seriously ill, um, hadn't really had any contact with anybody. His wife was there and he was like, my God, this is just so amazing. And he went into the house came out with a tenor and started walking towards me. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't. He's like, but I want to I wanna help. I've, I've, you know, I've seen the story about you having meals for isolated. He said, I live in a beautiful house and it's amazing and I've got a lovely car and I'd like you to help other people, please. Can you take some money? I said, look, put it up there on a stone and I'll take your cash, no problem, but don't come anywhere near me. Yeah. Uh, with the greatest of respect. Um, yeah, so we just we and we just started doing those different happy treats and, and making people smile and just going above and beyond really. And that's when I would rock up at um there was a lady in um Red Hill, which is about a 25 minute drive. Um her mum and dad were in East Grinstead, which is about a five minute drive. And for five Fridays, I had no idea that she was coming to get them fish and chips. And she was taking it to their house, dropping it off at their house, getting her daughter out of bed, um, putting the daughter and the kids in the car, driving all the way over from Rygate, putting the, getting the fish and chips and then taking it up. So the only way I found out is she sent a note saying, my daughter absolutely loves your fish and chips. I was like, what are you talking about your daughter? I've not seen any of the kids' portions. So I got chatting to her. She told her, so I... On one of my trips back home, I drove to their house um, because we'd got their details on the, the order sheet. And I dropped off a bottle of Prosecco, uh, some cans of lager and some like brownies. Um, and just said, treat everybody. Season, by the way. 
Say again, the brownies. Brownies were unbelievable. But, yeah, you know, that was um, uh, yeah. Nestle chocolate Easter eggs uh, melted down from donation from Nestle for the um, only pavement away homeless stuff. We just had so many of the bloody things that we started yeah. making brownies and then giving them away to everybody. Um, yeah, and I just dropped it on their doorstep and then she sent a note about three hours later because I think it was half four in the morning or something. Um, just saying, just can't believe, you know, that you've taken all of the time to come out here and, and drop this off. And I said, I can't believe for the last sort of five, six weeks, you've been coming all the way to us to get fish and chips for your mum and dad. It's small acts of kindness that will get everybody through this. Mm. And uh, she just said, thanks so much. I was like, yeah, just, it, it means the world to us. And we just, we love being part of it. And we're so happy that we can just be, be an element of helping people get through what's happening currently. That's brilliant. And then uh, record sales. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, smashed out of the park, if you want to use those sorts of numbers. Uh, mainly wire mill. Um, you know, all of the effort and all of the, the noises, the wire mill and the Summerstown team were incredible with the only pavement away stuff. And it's always going to be a struggle, you know, even right now, Summerstown's trading at 60% below what it should be. Um, but wire mill is, is holding up the entire company um, and just delivering and delivering. So massive, massive like for likes. Um, just yeah huge huge opportunities so um even even now you know we don't open till three o'clock in the afternoon um and joe has beaten every single uh sales result from last year by anything between 15 and 50 percent i think he was 65 percent up on monday and he only had five hours to trade so i'm really excited to get the pagoda open next week i think it will just transform and you know we won't necessarily build that into a light for light because of the investment and the capex um, but right right here, right now, you know, we're operating with one arm behind our back versus a very, very successful year last year. It wasn't like we had a crap year. Um, and the boy is, is just absolutely delivering, um, which is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, a, a great place to be to be able to then start really turning focus and investing in the other sites and using their, their sales and, and their belief that they have down there to, to flood back in and keep the chin up with the guys from ST, you know, that it's, it's really difficult to go from a massively busy, high-performing site to being in a pub with three people in it, looking at each other going, what do we do now? So very different skill set for the team to adopt and learn how to trade a pub out of something like this. And I think they're beginning to understand it now, uh, even though it's been seven weeks. You know, it takes a long time to learn that. And I remember being in the wire mill in January and you know, a, a Tuesday in cold wet, January and a couple would walk through the door and go, Oh, you're quiet. You may not, you know, answer anybody all day. Like, oh, yeah, no, no. It's just been, it's been great. It's been, you know, massively busy. Let, let me sit down. You know, the quieter we are, the better service I can give you. And that is how to adapt when things are down and just turn it around to a positive, not a negative. I'm not going to sit and bitch about how we haven't got sales 24 7. We're doing a whole load of different things to, to drive sales now and really start pulling, pulling it back and, you know, does does everything look amazing in the pub? Is there time for the guys to invest in training with one another and learning and adapting new things in downtime and you know just giving people incredible service? Yes, there is. You know, can we go and help homeless people again and continue that journey? Yes, we can. You know, nothing nothing can stop us from that. And as long as one of our sites is performing and keeping the overall business kind of in the in the red, um, just just keeping the cash coming in really that's our main priority now and making sure that we can survive this and, and get through and like i say you know charles wells have been phenomenal so there are i know there's a whole massive thing with the landlords and sin kate's petition and we stand with everybody and we will be a voice for everybody because everybody should should be together to help one another but we are in this position we pick the right partner you know they have been absolutely incredible 
And what about, uh, before we go into some fun questions, um, Christmas and 2021, what's your... Your thoughts and predictions for that, if you've got any? Real opportunity. So um, I'm not going to have 300 people um, round into ST and, and moving across four floors, that's for sure. Um, but what I do have is a lot of businesses out there that have got furloughed employees, potentially, or employees that are just coming back staggered who they could give gift cards to uh, and treats for family. So does it turn into more of a, an opportunity? We're not having a Christmas party this year for obvious reasons, but guys, we've bought you dinner at Summerstown. Um, are we going to have groups of six and just much smaller groups of, of smaller teams and have com- companies be able to treat their teams for what they've gone through this year? Um, are we going to have people with disposable income? You know, I know most of – we we took a decision we weren't going to take any cash uh, the minute. The, the pubs got closed so the three of us haven't had a, any salary let alone a cutting salary we haven't had any salary since since we went down so we put ourselves under massive personal financial pressure to protect our team and protect our business because we know that in the long run it's going to come back to us and we will delay mortgages and and all that kind of stuff so you know i'm running on a shoestring right now with, with very little cash uh coming in and but most of my friendship group have got more money than they've ever had um and they're not spending the money on traveling on the trains they've had six months they haven't gone on the six grand holiday you know they really have got cash in the bank so Mm. is this opportunity for this christmas a bit of a splurge you know will people have families together um Mm. we've always closed summerstown on christmas day because we've never seen a demand because people leave to go home to their their families well are they going to stay in london now so we're going to keep we've we've opened christmas day now for summerstown that we've never done since we've owned it um or at least we're, we're planning to um and experience again you know it's, it's going to go back to that time when we we went into the recession where people wanted value for money and value for experience and i'm seeing loads of different i'm just watching what different people that i really respect are saying and and what they think and yeah i i genuinely believe people want real value for their money and that doesn't necessarily mean discounting so for christmas are people going to have that that little bit of more of a splurge and that bit more let's just treat ourselves you know is it going to be somebody goes out three times in December for different group meetings of friends rather than that one time. And that's the conversation we've definitely had this week. Um, you know, we've turned away some some big parties this week, bizarrely. You know, yesterday, yeah. lots of phone calls. Can we all come? No. Well, what are you, what's stopping us just getting two tables? Nothing. But we will stop you when you're in the pub because as soon as we find out that you're together, either one of you will leave or we will separate you from one end of the pub to the other end of the pub because you're not socialising in my venue. Yeah. Right, right. Is it that harsh? Guys, you know, you're putting my life life uh, risk here, you know, and you've got to follow. And I know it's rules and what does it mean and et cetera, yada, yada, yada. And the whole curfew thing for me just means they're going to go to the off-license and go back to their homes. You know, I'm in the cold face talking to these people and trying to reason with them. Um, and I've been doing that under guidelines for the last sort of four months. Now I'm doing it under law and it's still a difficult conversation. So... Yeah, I think it will just be far more small, small group driven, um, but just real opportunity. You know, the the pagoda at the summons, uh, the wire mill was 164 covers, fully heated outside, lit, beautiful. You know, it's going to look amazing. We haven't had that ever. Um, will people be able want to sit outside in in jackets and feel a bit kind of Danish or Nor you know Norway style, Scandi style? And be happy to sit outside with scarves and jackets on and do a hog roast and sitting in that kind of environment with mulled cider when it's thrashing down with rain still or it's snowing well i've got a roof now 
You know, yeah. I, I haven't had having a roof for twelve years. So yeah. I think it's gonna, yeah, everybody's gonna have to adapt. I keep on calling it outside the box. You know, what what can you do outside of the four walls um differently? Because you're gonna have to, regardless of, of what's coming, you're gonna have to do it differently. And it's just about what what sweat back do you get on your on your returns you know what effort are you going to put in to, to get the returns back and how complicated you want to make everything so for us i think it could be fantastic um, we've got a massive massive mountain to climb when you look at what summerstown trades over that four-week period it is colossal you know it's a it's a pub a week basically a, a normal pubs trade a week pretty much um so we've, we've got a huge challenge but i think a, a challenge that we're all up for um and definitely something that, that I'm really looking forward to taking taking on and, and seeing what we can achieve. Right. I'll ask you some quick fire questions and I'll let you go because I've, I've taken up far too much of your time. So um, we mark out a 10 stuff that you like and all that. First question is best city to eat in? Without a doubt, London. I know loads of people on here have said London, but then they've tried to think hey, of something hey, else. London. <laughs> yeah, big, big time, dude. I, it never, I'm not, I'm not well-travelled. Used to listen to all the stories about New York and and different cities, and people would come back and tell me how amazing this place was and that place. But hey, London in the last since I've been there, you know, and what twenty five years worth of London at living slash not living, yeah. just London's incredible. Just just so much talent, so much opportunity. And best restaurant uh, for me, Duck and Waffle. Um, okay. Not necessarily for the food. Um, just so many great memories. Um, some just, you know, it would the go-to place for after events and conferences and where's open. And it just used to be the the place where we would go and see the sun come up and just love that place. It's just phenomenal. Brilliant. I know it's a great fun. I think one night we had a really big night out and um, we were like, where can we go? Where can we go? And then it was the only place to open. But luckily they let us in, but I think we... Yeah, we're looking us up and down a little bit. I don't think it, it, best for it, 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 but yeah. Exactly, exactly the same. We lost one of our guys. He was he literally went, right, I'm going home. Went, okay, cool. See you later. Bye. And not somebody works for me, somebody owns another pub company. And uh, it was after after a propel event. Anyway, um, disappeared and then came back about four or five hours later. We're like, oh, okay, what are you doing back? Oh, no, I was just downstairs. I fell asleep on one of the sofas in the car oh. downstairs. <laughs> I didn't know you guys would still be here. We're like, wow, this is definitely one to remember. So yeah, just just great memories. Love 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 it for the, for those sorts of things, really. And best dish um, has to be a, a dish from homegrown. Um, Jason does a crispy pork belly with a, a king tiger prawn and a sweet chili sauce, and it's just awesome. And um, I haven't actually found anywhere where I go, wow, Tom Carriage, I've had the fortune to go to a couple of his places and some of his dishes give it a run for its money. But just from a, kind of a nostalgia point of view, and I love, absolutely love pork, so it's uh, it's my go-to dish. And what about best uh, pub, apart from your own? Phew. Probably again goes back to nostalgia. Probably be the first pub that I ever ran. Um, just just has all of those memories. And when you walk through the doors, it's changed now. There's loads of refurb done to it, and they've kind of jumped on the opportunity they always presented. But I just love it, and it's it's called the Gun in in Orem. Um, sits on a hill. I remember sitting there talking to Jimmy every night when he'd come up for his scotches, and I'd run him back when he'd had one too many, and just yeah, so many fond memories of of being there and actually being with the team and running it and and being involved in it so just beautiful beautiful pub but yeah also just the, the memory element really 
and go-to drink. What's your your best drink that you crave love? Uh, simple. Um, not a man of many complications. So lager for me. So whether it be not not too fussy on it either, really. So uh, be a Camden or a Samago or Foster's, believe it or not. Um, doesn't doesn't really matter. Just yeah, just enjoy sitting, nursing a few pints and chatting chatting with people. Nice. All right, mister, I will let you go and let you get back to record-breaking weeks and all that stuff. And um, it's just been a real pleasure to talk to you and, and, and do this properly. And I'm actually sad as well that uh, I was out the other day with Anthony from Yummy Pubs. Yeah, I yeah, just had an absolute chance. <laughs> and I just wish you were there, you know, it would have been great to see you. Yeah, totally. And we've, we've got them coming, dude. They're, they're on the way. It's been great to have you. I've loved it. Um, and also just listening, the, the, these have been awesome through the the lockdown. I've absolutely loved. And just like I you know, tweeted you the other day with different different people, the inspiration that some of the guys that you have on here allow you to your brain to wander and, and just yeah, just been absolutely brilliant. Love what you do. Great. No, that's that's definitely the point of it. So, yeah, I'm, 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 thanks for all your support and, and for listening. So, yeah, brilliant. Well, listen. Have a great day. Um, enjoy the rest of the week and into the weekend. And um, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Yeah, absolutely, fella. You too. Thanks to Tim for being on today. And I wish him and the Yummy Pubs team well for the rest of 2020 and beyond. Thanks to you for listening, subscribing, sharing, rating and reviewing. And thanks to everyone that sends us weekly notes. It's really great to hear from all of you. Thanks to Engage Interactive for being our headline sponsor. If you do need anything digital, just get in touch with Alex at Engage Interactive and he'll sort you out. Thanks to BDO for being our premium partner. Again, if you need anything financial, any financial strategic advice, get in touch with Peter Hemmington at BDO and he will sort you out too. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for putting the podcast together as ever. This is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I hope that this episode has given you some real value to help your brand boom.